This season, in this month, we are walking through Advent. In the first weekend of December, we talked about hope. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Last weekend, one of my dear friends, Pastor Rob, brought us a powerful word about peace. And today, we are talking about joy. Christmas is a time of joy. It's a season of joy. We have favorite songs that are celebratory, and we sing about joy we watch Christmas movies. All of us have our favorite, favorite Christmas movies, and most of them are really filled with joy unless you watch the Hallmark Channel. Um, then it's just sadness until the very end. But sorry, that's a side note. Personal issue there. We have food. We have gatherings on Friday night. A family in our church that we live, some of our neighbors, invited us over uh, for hot chocolate and Christmas cookies. And there were people in their neighborhood. And uh, my wife and I were the oldest ones there because everybody else had really young kids. And the kids were watching Home Alone. And at the one funny part in the movie where the burglars are getting um, all of what they deserve, um, the kids just started laughing and the volume level in the house just elevated about 20 decibels. It was filled with joy. That's what this season is. And rightfully so. We see the announcement of joy that the angel gave to the shepherds in Luke 2. Luke chapter 2, 10 and 11. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people today. In the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Unfortunately, this season of great joy has become anything but for many of us. And I'm speaking specifically to those of you who are Christians, those of you who follow Jesus. You understand the reason for the season. You understand why we should have great joy. But how many of you know sometimes December is filled with a lot of other emotions other than joy. I was talking with a dear congregant um, just this past week who lost her husband earlier in the year. This is her first Christmas without her husband. And I don't think she would describe this season as one of much joy in missing her husband, though she knows the reason for it. Even before this service, one of our staff, her eyes were filled with, filled with tears because this is the first Christmas um, without her mother. How many know you can have tears and joy at the same time? So maybe you have come in today, and the last thing you feel like doing is singing joy to the world. <laughs> you're exhausted, you're tired, you're stressed, you're filled with anxiety. My hope for you today, my prayer for you today, is that truly the joy that God has for us, that he has for you, would fill your heart and fill your mind. God knew of humanity's need for great joy. 
He knew our need for that. The sadness and despair that had plagued the world from the moment sin entered in and relationship with God was broken, that needed a remedy. And here's the thing, no matter what is on your Christmas list, no matter what it is that you are really hoping, Santa or whoever brings you on December 25th that morning, it isn't the fix to your remedy. It's not the source of great joy. It's not a promotion. It's not more money in the bank account. It's not better looks. It's not even finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. All of those things won't fix it. Only the good news of the Savior's birth will bring you the joy that you desperately need. However, God also knows his children's need for great joy. He understands that we as his followers need joy. Now, the reality is that the majority of you in this room probably have heard this verse from the Bible. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, the joy of the Lord is our strength? You've heard that before. Many of you have. Uh, You know that, uh, or many of you do, that my dad was a pastor. I grew up going to Sunday school, and there was a song I remember as a kid singing. Choir, help me out with this. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. If you know it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Many of you are going, I'm grateful I did not go to your church because that song's really weird. (laughs) Some of you are like, that's the first time I've ever heard that. But you've heard the verse, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And for some of you, maybe uh, you didn't grow up in church. Again, maybe you're just starting to read the Bible and maybe that's a new phrase for you altogether. And you're wondering, well, where did that come from? Who said that in the Bible? And some of you might be thinking it's David. What certainly sounds like something David would write and could be found in the Psalms, but it's not. Or maybe you're thinking that's a pretty wise saying. So maybe it's found in Proverbs and King Solomon wrote it. He didn't. Moses didn't write it and wasn't found in early the book of the law and the early testaments. It wasn't the apostle Paul or Peter or John. That phrase, the joy of the Lord is our strength, actually comes from the book of Nehemiah. And the story of Nehemiah and the eighth chapter, I believe, will give us an understanding today why we as followers of Jesus, we can and we should be the most joyful people in this season and in every season. Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10 says this. Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. That kind of sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? He continues, this is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, let me give you the context of what's happening before we specifically talk about that line and what it means for us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The book of Nehemiah tells the story of the return of the Jewish exiles to Israel and the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. And the rebuilding of these walls was a process and an experience that was anything but easy. There was tension internally. There was hostility from neighboring rulers. But despite all of these challenges, the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. And then in the eighth chapter of Nehemiah, 
It begins by letting us know that it was the beginning of the seventh month, which for Israel was the beginning of the civil new year. So it was New Year's season for Israel. And with this new year, and now the project complete of these walls being built, they decided to remember the past. And they did this by having a worship service. Now it looked probably very different than ours today, but in some ways, it was similar. If you read Nehemiah chapter eight later, you'll see right at the beginning that they build a platform. Then you'll see there were about 40 or 50,000 people that gathered. Nehemiah tells us that in chapter seven. Now 40 to 50,000 people, that's a pretty big worship service. I don't know how they did it because they didn't have audio systems or video systems like we have today, but they built a platform and 40 to 50,000 people gathered together. And then there was a man who was a scribe. His name was Ezra. He stands up on the platform and he opens the book of the law, which for us is the first five books of the Old Testament. And he begins to read. And then Ezra, in reading the word, responds in worship and the people fall to their knees and a worship service ensues. And then he reads the entire book of the law. Now, if you were to read the first five books of the Old Testament, the entire book of the law, it would take six hours. So you should be grateful today. I am not preaching for six hours. I'll be done in about 10 minutes. But he goes through the book of the law, but it's not just him preaching. There was a group of people gathered there to his left and his right called the Levites, and they were the priests. And Nehemiah chapter eight tells us that after he's preaching or while he's reading this, they actually disperse through the entire crowd and they explain to people what he is reading. Let me compare it this way. We have something called life groups here at our church. And these are groups where 10, 12, 15 people gather together, typically after a weekend service or after the sermon that they're a part of. And they discuss what we talked about in this service. And so they ask questions and they spur each other on. They talk about what it means in their life. Basically, that's what happened. So they go through and they explain to the people the book of the law. And then here's an interesting thing that happens. All of a sudden, these 40, 50,000 people begin to weep. They begin to cry. There's not rejoicing. There's not celebration. Joy has left the room and instead has been replaced with mourning and sadness. Why? Why, when reading the book of the law and hearing what it means for their life, did they respond in sadness? Here's why. In that moment, they recognized their own unrighteousness. They recognized how imperfect they really were. Has that ever happened to you? In your quiet time or as you read God, God's word or <clears throat> excuse me, maybe you heard a sermon and have, has reading the Bible ever revealed to you just how much work God really needs to do in you? I mean, it should. <laughs> and that's one of the things the Bible does is that when we read the Bible, it convicts us. It shows us areas in our life that we need to work. Now, let me give you a sidebar. For some Christians, reading the Bible reveals to them the way other people need to improve. <laughs> now, let me tell you this. If reading the Bible causes you to see more sin in the lives of others than yourself, you're reading it wrong. So, but that's what happened with the people of Israel. They understood and were reading God's word and they were overwhelmed with sadness and emotion and mourning 
because of their own sin and their own unrighteousness. And then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. And then Nehemiah continues and says, go instead, celebrate with a feast of rich food and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Say joy. Joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, if you have gone to church for any amount of time or maybe even here at ACAC, you probably have heard a lot of sermons and even songs that say the joy of the Lord is our strength. From this pulpit, there have been some preached and I have heard them as well. And most of those sermons, a lot of them, at least in my experience, talks about our strength is found when we delight and we find joy in God. And that is certainly true. However, as I was preparing and praying over this verse, God, what does it mean? The season where so many of your people really aren't experiencing joy. What does it mean? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And then I asked myself this question, whose joy is our strength? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So answering that question, God is saying his joy is our strength. His joy, my strength. What does that mean? What is God joyful about? What makes him smile? What fills his heart with excitement? And how on earth does that bring us strength? Here it is. And some of you are here today because you needed to hear this word. God delights in you. God is happy with you. When God sees you, When God thinks of you, his heart is full of joy. And understanding that, realizing that, knowing that should bring us great strength. Now think about this, the people of Israel. The people of Israel were not known for obeying God's law. People didn't look at Israel and go, yep, they're doing exactly what the Bible says. The exact opposite. Truth be told, when people look at us, do they say, wow, they're living out the Bible. That's another sermon for another time. (laughs) The people of Israel were known for what? Being God's people. They were known for being his children. Now, God being joyful, it may be a strange concept for some of you. Perhaps you have always thought of God as being rather serious unhappy, or maybe even angry. For some of you, you think of God as like the cranky grandpa that comes over on Christmas day that sits in the corner that just complains about everything. Or maybe some of you think about God as Santa Claus, like he's checking his list, checking it twice, making sure he's naughty or nice, and you only get, and he only blesses you if you do good. That is not how the Bible describes God. The Bible actually describes God as a joyful person. Let me give you one insight of this through his son, Jesus. John chapter 17, it's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. 
We talk about it here a lot because in that, we see Jesus praying. John 17, it's one of the final moments of Jesus, one of his final prayers before he's crucified and and then resurrected. And in that, what we talk a lot about, one of the things Jesus prays for is our unity. But there is a verse, John 17, verse 13, Jesus is praying to the heavenly father. And these are Jesus's words. Now I am coming to you, God the Father. He said, I told them many things while I was with them in this world. Speaking about what he said to his followers. He said, so they would be filled with my joy. Jesus is praying to the Father. And he said, I have spoken to your people. I have preached to your people. I have walked with your people, eaten with your people, healed your people so that they would be filled with my joy. God is filled with immeasurable joy. Even in Luke chapter 15, there's a parable. Jesus talks about there's a coin that's lost, there's a sheep that's lost, and there's a son that's lost. You remember that? And each one of those, it builds upon each other. When the owner of the coin, the sheep, and then the father finds the son and is reunited, there is a celebration, there is a joy that fills the owner's heart, that fills the father's heart when they are found. And it's because God's joy is in his relationship with those created in his image. When there is reconciliation between God's creation and him as the creator, his heart rejoices in that. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus, the moment you surrendered your life, the moment you said, Jesus, I need you, I believe in you, I can't do this without you, my hope is in you, I know you're coming back again. In that moment, there was a party in heaven. And from that moment on, God looks at you with joy and gladness. His heart is overwhelmed with joy because of you. It's kind of like those, those of you that have kids, adult kids, maybe they're gone from home. You are so looking forward to this week and Christmas day because the whole family is gonna be together. There is a joy that is unlike any other when all of the family is home together. That is similar to the joy that fills God's heart. I'm not sure who said this for the first time, but it's a very powerful statement. And some of you, you need to not only hear this, but let this resonate today in your heart. God is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. Some of you are here today and you think God's mad at you. He's not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. Marshall Siegel wrote these words about how what we think of God relates to how we approach him. He writes, do you think of God as mainly happy, joyful, or mad? How you think about God will affect how you relate to him. If he's mainly disappointed, you'll avoid him because of shame and insecurity. If he's too busy, you won't want to bother him. If he's angry, you'll stay away because of fear. But what would happen in your life if you knew, if you truly knew, if you truly understood that God is profoundly joyful? Hear me today. Some of you, 
you're not filled with joy and you're beating self up because you think you need to be a better mom. You think you need to be a better dad because your marriage isn't what you thought it would be. Because maybe your career, you look back on your life and you go, I'd never expected to be here. I should have been doing so much more. Maybe some of you walked in today and you do read God's word and you see all the mistakes that you have made. You look at all the imperfections, you beat yourself up. The things that no one else sees. Maybe everybody else looks at you and thinks, wow, they're on fire for God. But you know in your own heart and you see all the ways in which you need to grow. Let me tell you, there is a place for repentance. There is a place where we need to recognize our weakness and our inability to be righteous without God. But God does not look at you and he's not waiting for you. Well, clean your act up. You become a better husband. You become a better wife. You become a better father or a mother. He's not waiting for that to happen. And all of a sudden, then he'll be happy with you. Right now, where you are as a follower of Jesus, God is joyful about you. So when we say the joy of the Lord is our strength, that word strength means fortress or a hiding place. We can run to a place, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of our own shortcomings and our guilt and our shame, and we can look at God the Father and know that he is joyful about us. He's not mad at us. He's madly in love with us. And in that, it brings great strength. Let me end with this verse. Prophet Zephaniah. Chapter 3, verse 17. My musical background, this is one of my favorite verses too. Because it's amazing to think about this. Zephaniah says, The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. And hear this. But he will rejoice over you with singing. God, our Father, rejoices over us with singing. So think about this. Right now, we have spent a lot of time singing today. Rightfully so, singing to God, singing his praise, exalting his name, giving him our love and adoration. But it's possible in this moment right now, the choir of angels with God, the Father, out front, singing a lot better than even Pastor Christian. (laughs) He is singing and rejoicing over us. Picture that. I don't know what he's singing. I'd love to know what the playlist is in heaven. But right now, he is singing over you with a joyful heart. How many of you ever sang your kids to sleep at night? You held them in your arm. Maybe you put them to bed. You put their hand on their head. There is so much love that you have for them and you're just singing peace over them singing hope over them, singing joy over them. Let me tell you something. As much as we love our kids, it doesn't compare to the love the Father has for us. And imagine right now, he is singing hope over us. Widow, joy over you. Peace over you. Those that are sick in need of healing, he is singing healing over you, strength over you through the storm. And in that, That is our strength. Father, 
We need the reality of your joy in our life. So God, I pray that those that have come in today that are exhausted, those that have come in today that are feeling anxious, overwhelmed, angry, Lord, I pray that they would run to the fortress. They would run to the hiding place and understand that you're not mad at them. You're not disappointed in them. You're not waiting for them to get it all right. In fact, we can't do it in our own. But you are joyful over them. That they are made in your image. And you love them with your whole heart. Let that reality be in all of us today. Amen.